teams, but a real quick measurement that leaders can use on their small teams or with the people that they work directly with is writing down the last time somebody raised their hand around you, writing down the last time somebody answered or asked a question when you said, are there any questions? Writing down the last time somebody um, sent you an email to say, hey, can we chat? Like somebody initiating the chat instead of you as a leader initiating that chat. And then writing down the demographics of the people that are doing that most often. Is it always white people? Is it always cis people? Is it always the extroverted person that always raises their hand? These are the people that already feel psychologically safe there, which means people who don't feel those demographics probably don't. Welcome to the Voices of Inclusion podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical insights shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson, the world's first DEI operating system. Comment, like, and subscribe on all platforms. Let's get back to the episode. All right, Kay, um, this is a long time coming. Uh, So for those that don't know you yet, um, who is Kay? Hi, I'm Kay Stroll. My pronouns are they, she, he. I am a psychological safety consultant and boundary strategist. And honestly, I'm just super honored to be here finally. (laughs) Same here. Honored to have you, Kay. Um, I mean, we'll start here. So you've had some funny posts. I think the energy that you bring to LinkedIn is definitely something that um, I really haven't seen a lot of. Um, And so I really like the one about you trusting your gut and just kind of asking um, your gut questions. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, uh, that post and what inspired it. Um, I was inspired to post that from my own experiences, honestly. Um, a lot of the content that I post is from my own experiences. I try not to go into lanes that I haven't traveled before. So when you see something I post, it's probably something I've experienced. But that the post that you're referring to is like questioning when things change in the environment that you're a part of. When you start being utilized less, when you start being asked for less input, it's okay to ask questions. That's when you start knowing if it's a safe environment for you to be inquisitive and ask these types of questions. And I remember when I was actually going through that experience being like, oh no, I'm, I'm tripping. Like I'm obviously driven. Like I don't need to ask these questions. And to anybody who is listening to this and is at that point, like, oh no, I'm tripping. I don't need to ask these questions. And I know a lot of the work that you do is focused on psychological safety. Um, so what does psychological safety mean to you? So a lot of practitioners in psychological safety define it as the ability to raise concerns or questions about the environment without receiving ridicule or um, being humiliated by the people you're asking these questions or raising these concerns to. But I define it with a lot of my clients as a unique blend of safety, trust, and respect. And unique is so important in that it's because every single person has different needs to feel psychologically safe. And a lot of people don't understand or believe that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because psychological safety, I know everybody had, like, as you mentioned, everybody has kind of their own definition of it. And uh, sometimes psychological safety can mean, hey, I want to be able to let you know that I have a dental appointment because, you know, so I can just, you know, take care of myself. Um, sometimes it might mean, please don't call me at 9 p.m. on a Saturday night. Um, <laughs> when, when you talk about working with your clients um, 
and the things that they uh, they're working through and with their employees. What's been one, some of the most impactful results that you've seen after someone or a company has created psychological safety? Um, when companies start to adapt to prioritizing psychological safety in their processes and policies, they've been they have been gun to see um, more input from people who are less likely to raise their hands or bring concerns to them before. Because when you prioritize psychological safety, you have to create spaces to have those conversations. Like that, those two go hand in hand. Higher levels of psychological safety and more spaces available to have the conversations needed around psychological safety. I mean, they, they go hand in hand for a reason. So when people start implementing processes to prioritize psychological safety, they've seen more input than they've had before. And thus creating more innovative processes, thus creating more um, dynamic team relationships because more people are talking, more people are putting more ingredients into the recipe that was already there. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I'm because I'm um, more of an introvert, I would say. And so I think I'm even more of an introvert at work in a team. And so a lot of times I'm like, uh, you know what? I'm, I don't really need to talk, but I've noticed that sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, when you have that psychological safety with a manager or teammates, you can really, I feel like it makes your career flourish a little bit more and you feel more comfortable in your own skin. Um, that's kind of how I feel. But, but when it comes to those um, things that are done in order to create psychological safety, what's like, I know you mentioned um, the impact that people have is typically, um, you know, when they're when they open up a little bit more. But what's a tactic that people can use to make their employees open up a little bit more? Mm -hmm. And I love that you talked about your introverted self because the people that are in leadership positions need to know that about the people on their teams. So are you creating spaces where introverted people will still be able to provide feedback or raise concerns? Kind of like a feedback form or do you have one-on-ones? Because some people don't want to raise their hands in the meeting where everybody's at, but I truly do have some concerns and questions. So adding that little line at the end, like, okay, if you don't feel comfortable um, raising your hand here or asking in front of the group, know that my inbox is always open or here's a link to a feedback form that you can submit anonymous, anonymously about the work that I'm doing as a leader on our team specifically. So having those different routes and avenues for people to feel safe enough to bring those concerns and questions to you is key. Yeah, and when we talk about psychological safety, are there any measurements that we should be thinking about um, when we're using or whenever it comes to psychological safety? Absolutely, and you will definitely have to pay my consultation fee to learn about those measurements, but a real quick measurement that leaders can use on their small teams or with the people that they work directly with is writing down the last time somebody raised their hand around you writing down the last time somebody answered or asked a question when you said, are there any questions? Writing down the last time somebody um, sent you an email just to say, hey, can we chat? Like somebody initiating the chat instead of you as a leader initiating that chat. And then writing down the demographics of the people that are doing that most often. Is it always white people? Is it always cis people? Is it always the extroverted person that always raises their hand? These are the people that already feel psychologically safe there, which means 
people who don't feel those demographics probably don't. When I was in the Air Force, I think the psychological safety thing, I think for me personally, it just wasn't, <laughs> it just, it wasn't a, 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 an abundant sense of psychological safety, you know? Um, and I know that you were in the, you were in the Navy, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and you were an aviation manager, right? Yes. How is, what was that like in terms of uh, the psychological safety and then transitioning over? Um, so that's the whole reason I do psychological safety instead of some of the other fields that are kind of tied into the work that I do is because when I was an aviation mechanic in the Navy, physical safety was pounded into us every single day. Hey, don't break your neck fixing that um, engine. Hey, don't break your neck, like walking on top of an aircraft. But no one ever talked about psychological safety. They constantly beat into us that um, safety is mission essential. Safety is everybody's job, but psychological safety is just the same. It is mission essential and it is everyone's job. So yeah, the transition was hard, but it was always there. Like the bridge was there. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard that uh, the Air Force, the military is different now. So I, I guess that was kind of like a back in my day. <laughs> kind of we get to say that now, back in my day, we used to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and I know that it's hard for some people to set boundaries and you, you're definitely one of those pros at that. Um, especially, you know, if we've been conditioned by the jobs that we have or even the families that we've come up in, um, what are some strategies that we can uh, utilize in order to set boundaries, just professionally or personally? So one of the things I share with a lot of people, because I am a boundary strategist, is the first thing that you need to do is name the harm that you are being caused, whether it's in the workplace or the other relationships you're a part of. For example, when I had longer hair, um, one of the harms that were caused to me in the workplace was people touching my hair without my permission. That was crossing a physical boundary of mine. And without me naming that harm, specifically anti-Blackness, um, racism in the workplace, I wouldn't be able to set that boundary. Then I set that boundary with my coworkers saying, hey, you need to ask me permission as a person, as a human being, before touching any part of me. Is that clear? If they give me pushback, if they don't understand, one, that's not my job. I don't really need you to understand. I do need you to respect me. But two, then I understand the levels of safety for me here in this relationship as the Black person that I am, as the person with hair, the texture of hair that I have. So knowing yourself and your identities and knowing the harm that's being caused to you in the relationships or spaces you're in is step one, honestly. Yeah, knowing yourself, I think that's major. Um, and I know that you're doing some amazing things with Absolutely Not. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely Not is the live podcast about setting personal boundaries at work and the vocabulary needed to name harm in those spaces. In 2018, I decided to take my own life after internalizing the unsafe behavior of a workplace. And I work or I do this work so nobody ever has to get to that point. Um, I, th I think I'm kicking ass at the stuff that I do, but it's just because I have such amazing guests on the show and they are so open and willing to share their experiences. And we really hope that people take away from it throughout every episode. It's beautiful. Um, and I love you. You, you, you often uh, share your identity with us in a way that I think most people really don't. I think that maybe they don't have the courage to do that. Um, and so when you talk about self-identity, 
Um, why do you think 50, more than 50% of respondents um, at companies don't necessarily want to answer those self ID questions? And it's because of that specific harm that's often caused towards people that hold identities similar to mine. Like I'm Black, Samoan, queer, and trans. And I, if you had asked me to self-identify five years ago, I probably wouldn't have. But the place that I am now, I know that I'm not going to be able to demand safety unless I self-identify. Some people aren't aware of that yet. They aren't aware that their identities hold so much influence on the amount of safety that they're going to have in space like you hiding that you're queer or you hiding that you're trans is not going to help the levels of safety for you in an environment um for a lot of us because of the level of melanation in our skin we're not able to hide um some of our identities or the, the way that we talk like we're not able to hide that identity so whether i self-identify on the application or not when i walk in i'm going to be harmed regardless y'all gonna be racist regardless of what i do so i think knowing that now and i hope anyone who's listening to this knows that now is self-identifying is for you um you not doing so is going to harm you in the long run but also knowing that them people are going to be racist and anti-Black and transphobic and anti-queer. Um, and it has nothing to do with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Knowing that um, an organization's being honest about that. Like if y'all are racist and if y'all are um, homophobic and if y'all are transphobic, y'all need to be honest about that and organizations are not being honest about that which is why people are not self-identifying so it's like double-edged you know when we talk about the self-id situations um what can companies do to increase that level of trust should they provide more programs or opportunities for people to just do do certain things or yeah what what can companies do to build that trust before someone is a part of their organization, like I'm looking to apply or? Um, to build the trust of employees um, oh, to self-identify. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ooh, they're already a part of the organizations. Um, to create that level of trust, respect, and safety around those um, groups of people who may feel like they're going to be caused harm is to be honest about the initiatives that you're taking to create safety for those groups. Like, do you have focus groups? Do you have ERGs? Do you, have you created space for those groups to speak up and to um, use their voices to implement change in processes and policies? How much of those groups have voices in those processes and policies being made? Is it just the one old white lady in HR having her voice put into the policies you know what i'm saying like um and being honest about that like oh no it is only susie who writes the policies and processes like great then i'm not gonna feel safe you're speaking up about how they're discriminatory towards me and my identities um and so i wanted to ask you you know throughout your self-exploration journey i know that you've been really doing a lot of self-work which has been amazing to for me to see but i know i can only imagine how it feels um, what's been the, the greatest kind of positive game changer for you so far? Um, the greatest positive game changer for me is, oh, I wish I knew who made this post, but there was a post of someone, I want to say it was, I want to say it was a TikTok, but there was a TikTok of somebody <laughs> who, um, 
they said like I found out I had cancer or I was gonna I'm gonna die in like two years and I told my employer and they said oh you still have to work or we're not gonna pay out pension or something to that effect and somebody commented under that saying if I knew I was gonna die I would stop working and that comment Sorry, I already knew this, everyone knows this, but we're all going to die. <laughs> we are literally all going to, like you already know that you're going to die. No, no amount of shucking and jiving, no amount of code switching, no amount of not being true and living to your full assistant is going to keep you from dying. Um, so that realization and that acceptance in myself has kept me from going into organizations who simply do not align with my values and working with organizations who simply don't align with my values and um, expecting a level of safety regardless of who the people are that want to work with me. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and right now, when it comes to um, the work that you do, what would you say is the most has been like the most enlightening aspect of it um, as you learn more about different organizations and, and what makes them tick, so to speak? One of the so I always ask for feedback at the end of my keynotes or my trainings or my consultations and the feedbacks like almost always positive from people at lower levels of the hierarchy in the organization at higher levels the number one thing they constantly ask me to stop saying during my trainings or my consultations or my keynotes is um that people who are not in positions of power have a certain level of power they would love for me to tell people at the lower end of the hierarchy that yeah you can change the world you can do whatever you want but i always um preface whatever i'm saying with if you are at a lower position of power only the people in positions of power can make change to a certain extent like you can have those meetings you can but if you give it to somebody in a position of power and they do nothing with it you need to accept that um and so many people in positions of power like it'll be the ceo or the director of diversity and inclusion will come to me after my trainings and say hey is there a reason you say that like why are you telling people that and they just don't want to accept that that is the truth if you don't have power you're placating that power to somebody else and they are ultimately the decision makers they get to choose what happens what, yes that's very enlightening yeah, why do you think they don't want people to know that? Or why, 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 why shouldn't you say that? Um, because they, I think they, because they want the people in positions of less power to know, to not know that they don't have power, that their voices are not being heard and utilized, that the information that they have given to people in higher position of power is just not being used to the extent that they expect it to be for their safety. And if I say that aloud to those people, then they're gonna be like, oh, this company is not prioritizing my psychological safety. I should leave. I should go somewhere else where they actually are gonna prioritize my psychological safety. And of course, nobody in position of power wants their subordinates to leave. Right. So I know you specialize and um, you're an expert in psychological safety and, and boundaries. Um, I like the fact that you have uh, a book focused on boundaries. 
could you talk about that workbook a little bit dang that's like that's like fresh it's like brand new. <laughs> like oh. i i haven't put it out to anybody or anything <laughs> just because um i myself especially because i create content have a lot of inquiries on information on boundaries on psychological safety so i had to create a resource where i could just be like and for $15, you could get that here because I cannot stretch myself that thin. So that's what that workbook is. But it's also just a quick recap of everything we talk about on Absolutely Not and everything I've learned about boundaries and psychological safety and kind of a baby step way to start setting boundaries at work and you yourself as an individual measuring the levels of safety you have there. So where should people go to get in touch with you? You should definitely go to my website, www.kstroll.com. Um, and that's the best way to get in contact with me. If you want weird videos of me reenacting things I've experienced in unsafe um, environments in the past, definitely follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram or the Tic Tacs. I'm new up there. Um, yeah. What, what, uh, I know a lot of people are nervous to start the TikTok vibe. What made you jump in? Um, I mean, everybody has a story about what made them start. Well, I, 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 I think I've announced this a couple of times on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is trash, like very, very discriminatory <laughs> towards black creators, towards queer creators, towards trans creators, like very, very, the algorithm, like just. It is very trash. If you say racism or white supremacy in a post, you'll get like, and TikTok, while very weird about their like reporting and all of that, they let a lot of stuff fly over there. Like just people be doing a lot over there. And so I would rather take my expertise to the wild, wild west. See, we talked about people will leave. I would rather take my expertise to the wild, wild west and figure it out in a different way, get my message out there in a different, through a different medium, then stay somewhere where I don't feel safe. That makes a lot of sense. Um, well, Kay, I feel like we got a lot of value from a lot of the things that you uh, do and talk about here. Um, but before we let you go, what's the one thing that you definitely would urge our listeners to do after listening to this episode there's a quote and i want to say it's by Brittany janae kess she her she's amazing creator uh creator of liberated love notes amazing black creator please follow her but um she said if you're a leader to ask yourself daily am i doing this as an act of love or to pursue power and as a leader, like everything that you like, did I just send this person an email at 5 p.m. as an act of love or to pursue power, like to make sure they know I'm in a position of power? Um, did I just throw a thing on somebody's calendar in the middle of the day that says quit chat at, because I have the power to do so or as an act of love? Like to be intentional in that and all that you do, especially as a leader, you have people who work for you. Like knowing that and being intentional about that and knowing that your actions have so much impact on other people is how you can start to create safer spaces. We can't end it any better than that. Kay Stroll. Kay, thank you so much for this conversation. Did you like this? 
Subscribe to the Voices of Inclusion podcast to hear secrets from incredible DEI professionals. Don't forget to go to matheson.io to connect with us so we can help you develop your DEI strategy no matter where you are on your journey. We'll catch you in the next episode.